Hello and welcome to the first episode of season three of GC Stories, the podcast bringing you incredible tales and life experiences from people within the global security services industry. I'm John Watkins, Managing Editor of Global Custodian, and we really have appreciated the feedback we've had on the first two seasons. So we're really excited to welcome six new guests for this series. In the past, we've had an array of individuals and stories from those surviving avalanches to former professional athletes, military officers, and undercover police officers who have all gone on to work in security services. Joining us on today's show is Ben Bobroff of Northern Trust, who before his security services days worked in the bomb disposal unit in the British Army. Here he shares his background and the family motivation which saw him join the army, along with his tours abroad and some of the common misconceptions about one of the most pressurized roles one can imagine. Ben Bobroff, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, John. Looking forward to our chat. And look, you're our first guest of season three, but uh, luckily your story is one of dealing with pressure, so I'm sure this is nothing <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> uh, no, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so should we start at the very beginning, which is always the best place to start? Could you just tell me a bit about your background and, and how you actually came to be in the military? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it all it all really sort of started started from you know at school with me. Um, I, you know, I used to sort of chat with my grandfather about his his time during the war and sort of loved you know listening to him regale regale his stories of old. Um, but you know, at school we had a, a combined cadet force, and I, I joined that and. Uh, really enjoyed sort of playing soldiers and and having fun there, um, and then I think you know as it as it came to sort of you know my my sort of sixth form years at school I was sort of thinking well what do I want to do in the the big wide world and I, to be honest I had absolutely no idea, um, uh, but at the time they offered this thing called a, a gap year commission and I thought well, I quite like the military stuff um, it was almost an opportunity to kind of try before you buy um, and so you go through the sort of the the normal procedure of um, uh, you know, of, of getting offered a place at, at Sandhurst, and you know, if you are in the top percentage of passes, then they'll offer you uh, this gap year commission. And and the gap year commission was basically an opportunity to go for your gap year, um, join a join a unit after after spending just four weeks at Sandhurst, um, and uh, and be a sort of an officer, you know, without portfolio really for the for the year. Um, and it was it was fantastic. It was a great insight into the army. Um, it was great fun. There's no obligation to join afterwards, but you know, I left that and thought, actually, that that could be that could be for me. And so I, I applied and got a, a scholarship to, to university um, with a view to join to join straight after after uni. And, and and that's that's what I that's what I did. Yeah, that kind of brings us on nicely to, to to the university years. I mean, um, you know, where we're about to go to university, and did did that kind of time reinforce your desire to join the military or, or was there a consideration to take a different route obviously a lot of external influences coming to university don't they it could often change your mind yeah yeah it's very true you know you do change you change a lot at, at university I, I think for me you know it cemented my desire to join um it was interesting because actually you know i went to Exeter university I, I went there i wanted to play rugby i wanted to you know have fun at university um part of the requirements of the of the scholarship was you needed to join the otc um, which I was very happy to do, but unfortunately it clashed with uh, university rugby. Um, and I basically turned around to them and said, look, I've come to university to enjoy university life and to play rugby and do all that. Um, you know, if I, if I have to make a choice, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I was going to, you know, prepare to kind of hand back my, my scholarship, you know, on the basis that it doesn't really, this has no relevance to my desire to want to join the military afterwards. But at this point in time, you know, I want to enjoy university life. And, 
they came back and said, that's, that's fine. That's fine. You don't have to do the OTC. That's okay. You can, you can continue on and, and we'll, we'll work it out, which was, which was great. And so I actually did nothing to do with the military at all throughout my time, my time at university. Um, and, you know, ironically, that made me want to join it more afterwards. And I think if you kind of think about it also in the context of, of when that was as well, you know, it was, it was post 9-11, stuff was bubbling away in Afghanistan, Iraq war just kicked off 2003. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of felt this sort of a bit of a sense of duty that, you know, I have this opportunity to do that. Um, if I don't do it, you know, who will? And so, you know, that was something that kind of reinforced itself during my time at university. And after I'd kind of shed the couple of excess pounds post-university that I needed to prior to going to Sandhurst, um, you know, I was, I was ready to go. Uh, so what were the early days in the military, military life for you? And, uh, you know, we, we teased it at the start, so I'm sure everyone's wondering how, how you came to join the, the bomb disposal unit. Yeah, so so my my early days were, were similar to similar to many. Um, you know, I went to went to Sandhurst together for a, for a year. Um, I then did my specialist training. I joined the, the Royal Engineers, which is the the same uh, the same corps that my my grandfather was in. Um, and I was first posted up to up to Ripon in North Yorkshire, which is a beautiful beautiful place. Um, and I had a troop of about 30, um, 30 soldiers that um, that I looked after. So, you know. Like any young officer, like a huge, huge honor. I was 23, 24 years old to be looking after 30 plus um, guys, varying different backgrounds, varying ages. Most of them were, were most of them were older than me. Um, so you know, there's there's some real challenges, a really, really steep learning curve. But you know, huge honor to kind of be in charge of in charge of them. And then you know, whilst I was there, you know, the military were kind of worked on a on a three year cycle of. Um, the downtime and pre-deployment training, and then and then a year where you you deploy away on operations. And so, at the time, Iraq was was the one that was was going um, uh, going on, and um, so we were deploying on uh, what's called Optelic Optelic 11. So that was in 2006 2007. Um, and I got I got asked as part of that deployment, did I want to to form a, a team that was called the High Research Team. Um, and so that was my first kind of foray into into bomb disposal, I suppose. We got the uh, the troop all, all trained up, and we got augmented with some some additional people. And I took about a trip of about forty five odd people out to Iraq, based in based in Basra, uh, to provide that sort of high risk search capability, going to find the roadside bombs. After that, I kind of I came back and I I did a, about eighteen months or so at a, at a training regiment where I was looking after and training uh, soldiers, you know, sixteen year old kids straight out of school, um, some with a real desire to, to join the military, and, and that was what they'd always wanted to do, and some, that's kind of where they ended up, because they didn't really have anything else that was going to pull them out um, of where they, where they were in life. And then my second sort of dip into the bomb disposal world was going back to the, to the bomb disposal unit, um, doing my bomb disposal course, um, and then uh, being in charge of the training of a squadron of 140 odd people um, prior to their deployment um, to uh, to Afghanistan, um, and so I, I went out to Afghanistan. I was actually based in the in the headquarters there as sort of one of the um, subject matter experts on all things that go bang and explosives um, to the to the commander of the troops in Helmand Province, so about nine and a half thousand odd people. Um, so they were my two two sort of two sort of forays into it and. Um, you know, I suppose the the thing that really drew me to it, and it's sort of no different to how how I approach my 
kind of work life now is you know wanting to make an impact and wanting to push myself and be at the sort of the the forefront of things that are changing and really driving driving change and informing what's happening and you know at the time both in Iraq and then also in Afghanistan you know the the the, the sole thing that was really really shaping everything that we were able to do was was roadside bombs and they had an impact on where we could go what we could do you know they were obviously you know hugely um had a huge impact on on the casualties and the attrition rate and so i wanted to to be a part of um of helping fix that and helping us to to move and fight around around the battlefield and so that was that was kind of part of the motivation that kind of drew me into it in the first place you've touched on a few elements of the role and this might sound a very simplistic question, but what 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 does it what does it entail? What does the actual job entail of a, a bomb disposal for for you and the team? I mean, it's exciting, but it's not it's not quite as glamorous as people think it is. You know, if I kind of take the two the two halves of it, the the high research bit is it's a really analytical component, and it's kind of like a game of cat and mouse because you're out there, you're you're there to really analyze the ground, analyze how the enemy operates. You know what are the types of devices and how are they going to be constructed and how are they going to be initiated and where are they going to be located and so it becomes this you know a real sort of like four-dimensional rubik's cube that you're trying to solve to work out okay so so if that's what we think is going to be out there then what are we going to do about it and so you either go around it or you know you you, you build that into your plan or you you need to clear through that area and and then you've got to go and find it so you know, there's the analytical elements up front, and then there's there's the actual getting out on the ground uh, and locating those 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 roadside bombs. And obviously, dependent on how they're going to be initiated, or we think they're going to be initiated, depends on how you approach those. You know, if you think it's going to be a pressure plate or a command wire or whatever it might whatever it might be. Um, so quite an analytical element to it. And and then once you find that, you then hand over to the bomb disposal officer, which was more the second bit uh, as I came back into the bomb disposal world. Um, and you know, there it's it's very much around. A lot of it is done is done remotely. Um, you know, use a lot of drones and things nowadays, um, because ultimately the 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 challenge is, you know, you don't really want to go down there and play with it and touch it unless you really need to, and unless you know it's as safe as it can possibly be. Because by the sheer nature of them, they're called improvised explosive devices. You know, they are they're made out of rubbish. They're made out of bits and pieces that people have found. At, at, at best, um, you know, they're also put together by people who don't necessarily know what they're doing at all, um, or have been just told to do it, and and so they're naturally they're rubbish. <laughs> and so, you know, the challenge there is you've got one stray wire that someone hasn't soldered off or, or fixed on properly, and it makes a it makes a connection, and you know, and that's that's a, that's a problem. So you want to do as much of it as much of it remotely as you as you can, but you know, ultimately you you have to you have to go down there and, and get rid of it in person at the end of it to make sure it's safe so everyone else can kind of come come through yeah, you mentioned wires there and it reminds me of red wire blue wire and, and various films so what's what's the most common kind of misconception uh, about what you did when as you speak to people now in in you know in what you're doing on the trust when you say you've been a, a bomb disposal officer the, the two things that they come back to is james bond and the timer that ticks down to 007 uh, I've never had one of those. And then the other one is obviously like by the Hurt Locker. And, um, you know, people, it's it's sort of that, that gung-ho mentality to, you know, getting the suit on and going down there. I've got to do this. You know, I'm going to put myself out there. 
and the reality is if you know if you do that more than once then the enemy's watching and and you know you probably won't be doing it too many too many more times so you know there's a there's so much more stuff that happens up front before you actually go down there to make sure that it's as safe as possible um before you before you sort of take that long walk and you know that that happens certainly but um not quite not quite in the way that hollywood would perceive it because it probably wouldn't make quite as good a film the other thing the, the other misconception i think is interesting is outside of the outside the bomb disposal world the, the sort of misconception about the military and you know and what that means and you know people will often say well you know people do what they're told in the military so you know that must have been easy uh, and the reality is you know when you're especially when you're dealing with uh, in the in the in the bomb disposal world is you know you're you're working with people and you're asking them to do things that are you know are can be dangerous people don't do things like that just because they're told to you know they do it because of the trust that you've built up because they trust you as a leader um because they know that they you wouldn't ask them to do anything you wouldn't do 100 times yourself and i think that's a that's often a common misconception when people talk about the military more broadly is that they see leadership as in the military as a function of the the, the rank structure that's there and yes that that exists but that's not that's not what drives your your ability to be a to be a good leader and to inspire people to follow you that's a takeaway that you you brought into to to your career now what what are the other uh lessons you took from from the military that you've been able to apply to to your career now or, or perhaps even just to life in in general i think one of the big ones is probably you know how to react when things go wrong um and that happens uh, all the time you know you know when the military whether that's in training they they push you past that that point of 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 sort of a, a reasonable point to to an area where you know they you're going to fail or there's going to be an issue or you're going to need to consider things from a different angle to to kind of push you out of your comfort zone and see how you react because it's something you've got to practice because if it's the first time it happens you know you're on the back foot and you don't know what to do but you know whether it's through lack of sleep stress thinking about the ramifications of what if i do this and what if this happens you know you need to be able to have experienced some of those things so that you can understand how you're going to how you're going to react when things things go wrong and i you know i carry that forward into into my work life as well um because the same is true there you know the plan very very seldom actually goes to plan it invariably changes in some way shape or form and i think you know the ability to just not panic and to take a moment to reset to think about what's changed review you know the course of action you were going to take take and and think about well how does that inform and what should i do now and then really to to break it down into small chunks because there's there's a real natural reaction i think when things go wrong and things happen that you want to right i've got to fix it i've got to fix it now and i need to get myself back on track here but actually being able to take that moment to kind of step back to really think about it to come up with okay so here's how it's changed here's what we're going to do and here are the five or six steps that we're now going to put in put in place and we're going to achieve kind of breaking up into little bite-sized chunks i think helps you kind of get your back get yourself back on on track and and stops it from from swallowing you thanks ben i really appreciate that insight and i hope you don't mind but just to, to finish off would you would you mind you know telling us a bit about why why you left the military and and yeah how you got to to where you are now i loved my time in in the army i i really really enjoyed it um 
it was great. I was a young guy, fit, active, always very, very sporty. It was, you know, it was the, it was the perfect location for me. Um, I, uh, my, my now wife, uh, we got together when I was at university. So she kind of been through all of it, all of it with me. I maybe hadn't been completely honest with her as to exactly what I was going to do when I went out to Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> um, so uh, some of that has come out in later life when I mentioned things. Oh, we did that, and she's okay. <laughs> that wasn't what I thought you were doing out there. Um, but I think you know, um, as I as I got a got a little bit older, and you know, your priorities start to start to change. We wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I um, I didn't want to start a family in the military. You know, my uh, my boss out in, out in Afghanistan, he he went out there with an, an eight month old kid he left back at home, and they didn't really recognize him when he got back. And it's hard. It's, it's almost, it's easy for the people who are going out and doing it. It's, it's much harder for, for those you leave behind. And so for me, I sort of, I sort of achieved what I wanted to achieve within the military. You know, you can always look back and go, oh, I'd love to have done this course or that course. But, but for me, I'd kind of got to a point where I thought, no, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to put the family first and, and do that. And I was just coming up 30 at the time and and I thought that's a good chance to, a good spot to leave and, and start a really good second and third and fourth career. Maybe I've got plenty, plenty of time left to, to get really into something. Um, so that was kind of what drove the timing and, and when I wanted to leave. But, um, you know, in terms of where, what I wanted to do, I didn't really know. Um, I, I sort of desperately tried to avoid going into finance um, just because it was like, you know, the cliche of the army officer leaves and goes into the city and gets a great job, you know, fantastic. Um, and I thought, well, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to let the military, I don't want to be the bloke from the army who's joined. I want to let my natural sort of traits and skill set, you know, define my success in the future. And, you know, if that's in finance, fine, but I, I wanted that to be the, the, the sort of the focus. So, you know, I looked at lots of different jobs, insurance breaking, at uh, consulting, um, but I wanted to make a clean break from the military. I wanted to do something that was very different. I didn't go and want to go and work for the Ministry of Defense or anything like that, or in military procurement and, and security or anything. I just wanted to do something that is totally different and let the the skill set that I'd learned over the last um, sort of seven or eight years um, really kind of play out in that in that world. Um, obviously, I didn't do very well at, uh, at, uh, at not going into financial services because that's that's where I found myself. Um, uh, right at the right at the start so and that's where i've been ever since well fascinating well ben thanks so much for the story i mean it, it really is uh yeah, fascinating to hear and, and some really uh, some really great pearls of wisdom to take away from it as well we uh we, we tend to ask three questions of our, uh, our guests um at, at the end of the show so, so they're, they're quite standard and it's uh always great to hear what, what people have to say so the first of those is who from within the security services industry or world has, has inspired you you know one of the one of the people i'm sort of probably most most thankful for taking up taking a punt on me uh, is a chap called benji fraser from from jp morgan so you know, I, I joined J.P. Morgan straight out of um, uh, straight out of the military. Uh, I didn't really know what exactly I was getting myself into. Uh, I knew I could do project management, and so that's kind of where I went into initially. And I met Benji, and he he kind of really bought into into me, um, and he took a bit of a bit of a chance on me, and he gave me the, the platform to to grow and to to make mistakes and to to constantly improve and evolve. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am now without 
without his backing and his his mentorship um through those through those early days um i'd also say you know coming right back to right at the beginning you know my 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 grandfather as well you know seeing him as i was growing i was very fortunate that he was around for pretty much all of my teenage years didn't quite get to see me go go into the military but um you know just seeing his sense of duty his values his ethos um you know that sort of quiet but strong demeanor and the impact he had on uh, on our family was was absolutely huge and, and certainly on my on myself and you know it was great to be able to join um to join and, and join his old his old regiment as well the last question, just in case we haven't you know, squeezed every last bit of wisdom out of you, Ben, is uh, what's the biggest <laughs> life lesson that you've learned that we'd like to pass on to others? Be intellectually inquisitive. You know, just don't don't ever stop stop learning, and that that can be formal, that can be informal. You know, I I went and did a, a data course the other day just because I wanted to just improve my skill set there, and it was it was great. And you know, just to constantly want to kind of keep on keep on growing, I think is is really really important. Um, and then the final one is probably um, investing in investing in people, and that's true in the military. That's true in um, in the real world. Um, you know, if you get that right, and really really invest in the right people, and really get to know them, not just get to know them on a superficial level, but really really get to know them, understand them, what drives them, you know, their backgrounds. Um, then if you get that right, the rest the rest will follow. Well, fascinating. Um, and yeah, Ben, I must say that uh, we, we started this series in, in lockdown as a way to kind of bring stories and bring, you know, these, these interesting facts about people to, the, you know, to the fore for people to listen to. And uh, yeah, that was in a lockdown globally. And I think this this episode came about because, you know, we bumped into each other at an event and got talking and then, this, you know, we, we, this story came up and the fit was perfect. Yeah. So I think you know, as well as that, it shows it's a testament to, the, to to networking and all being back out there of what we can can gain from, uh, you know, yeah. connecting, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. No, you're completely, completely right, John. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for sharing the story. It's a fascinating one and a perfect story to kick off our third series. So, Ben, thanks very much again for for joining us, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, John.